0: Welcome to The Way The World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hey, Brittany. Hi, Connor.
1: So I taught a class a few years ago for our homeschool co-op Uh, called Controversial Classics. And I think uh, at some point I've shared uh, this PDF with uh, some of our Tuttle Twins readers, basically a compilation of some books uh, for people who are interested in learning a little bit more about Liberty that I've really enjoyed. So I thought it'd be fun. You and I have looked over the list. We are each going to talk about half of these books and why they're so interesting and so important. These are books that, you know, preteens, Uh, or teens can read, or maybe the younger kids could be read to, but certainly I'd say for like, you know, age 10 or 11 and up uh, can start to understand some of these ideas, especially if a parent is reading along and helping. Um, And so uh, I'll start first maybe with uh, one that we've talked a little bit about, which is civil disobedience. a good one. And uh, we've talked before about that issue. I know on a previous episode with uh, taxation, we talked about Henry David Thoreau and uh, about his experience where, uh, by way of summary, since we've talked about it before, he was uh, asked or ordered to pay a tax for a a war with the Mexican government that he disagreed with. He thought it was wrong. So he refused to pay the tax and was thrown in jail. Uh, He only spent a night there. But he wrote about his experience, about when it's okay to you know, stand up for your rights when it's okay to resist, when you're kind of morally justified. And then people like Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi and others who have done civil disobedience have looked to Henry David Thoreau for his thinking and for a lot of the stuff that he's really thought through. It's not about being a rebel, it's not about fighting the man and just, you know, uh, not doing whatever you're told. It's about like, what's that balance? What does it look like? When is it appropriate to stand up for yourself and say no? Uh, It's a very kind of engaging uh, booklet. You can find it online. If you want to buy it, it's super cheap. You can find the whole uh, essay, you know, for free online. It doesn't take long to read. But that's one that I think is certainly a controversial classic because it really speaks to you know, when is it OK to, to resist something you're told to do by your own government? So what's next on your list, Brittany?
0: Yeah, well, comment on that. That's actually I credit that book to being my uh, kind of what shaped my political beliefs, uh, civil disobedience hmm. in high school. Yeah, very early on. So one of my favorites, too. But so the next one is one of my favorites, Anthem by Ayn Rand. And there's a couple of reasons this is my favorite. One, because it is the shortest Ayn Rand book. And for anyone familiar with her, she writes a lot of words. <laughs> so I have to admit that I've never even finished Atlas Shrugged, which is her most, her most popular <laughs> one, because it's so long. Anthem is 60 pages, and it gets right to the point. And so I think it's really good for younger readers, too. Like you said, the 10 to 12 range may be a little older. But this book, to me, really sums up why individualism is so important. And the book is written – we've talked about the word dystopia before – or dystopian and this book is very dystopian it's kind of got like 1984 vibes if you ever read that one where it's a very controlled centralized system and individualism means nothing you know you wake up in the morning and you do the work the government tells you to do and you talk to who the government tells you to talk to and that's it that's your life and in this uh the main character is I don't think has a name I feel like the main character doesn't have a name in this book But I know that he goes off and kind of realizes like, wait a second, I'm not part of this bigger herd, right? I am one person. And it really hits on the importance of individualism. And there's one line, I think she says something like, it's the most beautiful word in the whole language. And she's talking about the word ego, which means a lot of different things. But in this case, it just means like the power of the individual. And Mm. when I was first getting into all this, that really struck me. So Anthem, to me, just summing up why individuals are so important, this one is my number one go-to.
1: That's cool. Another one that our readers will certainly be familiar with uh, is The Law by Frederick Bastiat, so I won't need to spend a lot of time on it. We based our first book, The Tuttle Twins Learn About the Law, on this pamphlet. It was written in 1850 by a French economist named Frederick bastier I guess is how you pronounce Bastia, his name yeah technically but uh, yeah <laughs> a lot of us Americans say it in a in our own way uh, he was a member of parliament uh, he would he thought a lot uh, he was a thinker he would read a lot he wrote a lot of stuff this was a very concise essay and what a lot of people like about frederick bastiat's uh, booklet his essay the law which you can also find for free online or you can buy copies as well we sell it at tuttletwins.com slash products if you want to buy a dollar copy there and uh, usually people will buy a bunch to then give away because they're so cheap Um, but a lot of people like what he wrote because he was very witty he was very sarcastic uh he wasn't just this dry economist talking about free markets blah 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 like he'd kind of poke fun at people a, a little yep. bit right <laughs> these like french socialists he's like did they think we're crazy like we don't want people to actually eat just because we don't want the government in charge of making bread you know like he he'd, he'd kind of you know poke at him a little bit and you can sense a a very kind of witty personality uh obviously it was translated from the french and and you know it was written a Over a century and a half ago, but it remains so relevant because the things that he talked about in there were very much like the founding fathers, especially folks like Thomas Jefferson, really talking about those John Locke ideas, life, liberty, property, the foundations of good government. But Bastiat wrote in a way that's very succinct. Right, we can read a lot of stuff from like the founding fathers or like the Federalist Papers or whatever. Sounds a
0: little boring sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and long-winded, you know, they're saying a lot of stuff. Frederick Bastiat gets a lot more to the point. It's very cohesive. In other words, it's it's very kind of um, it's good writing. It's 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 good it's good writing. So that's one that I consider a must-read for every teenager, certainly every adult. I would correct a lot of the problems in our society. What's next for you?
0: So a book called Propaganda by Edward Bernays, and this was important to me. So when I was in college uh, for two years, I dedicated two years to just studying propaganda and specifically World War II propaganda. And so during that that time, I got to read a lot of books on it. Now, propaganda, we've talked about it before, is kind of a tool or a method that the governments or people in power can use to tell you what to think. Like it's literally teaching you what to think without you even knowing it's happening sometimes. So that could be through like commercials or advertisements or or even in this book, one of my favorite parts about it is the author talks about, and it's kind of evil, that given three months, he can make everybody in the whole world buy a certain fabric. And he kind of details like, I can do this. Step one, like convince you that there's an enemy that doesn't want you to buy it. You know, step two, tell you how great it is. And he just kind of goes down like the line or the list of how people in power and governments convince us what to believe, or even maybe convince us to turn against somebody, right? Maybe during war, that they need us on their side. So for this to really understand how government operates, how those in power operates, this book is not only great, but it's also pretty scary. I'm sure you've read it, Connor, you can you attest can to this too but you're kind of getting the inner workings of how people trying to control you think and how they think about you. So I think this is definitely a good one for, again, maybe some older kids and also every adult should read this book.
1: Yeah, it is extremely eye-opening. That one, when I uh, read through that with this class that I talked about, it was a bunch of teenagers. And when we spent time showing some of the quotes from that book, talking about how like, oh, you know, people think that voters in charge, but actually the public is manipulated by the decisions of a small handful of people they form the invisible government that is truly the ruling class of society. And I read that, I, I just paraphrased it, but I was like, oh my gosh, like, like this is, you know, it gets terrifying. like called, like a terrifying borderline, like conspiratorial. And yet here is someone who was involved in all of those things, saying, Oh, here's how we did it. Yeah,
0: this is how <laughs> we know? do it. This is just how we and, operate. Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: and you're like, okay, this was in 1910, and now it's 2020. How much worse is it today? Uh, very eye-opening book. So I'm glad you you picked that 1928, one.
0: 1928, I think. 1928, right? Oh, you're right. Little, you're right. right. After World War One. Re-
1: you're <laughs> right. Thank you for correcting me. So, um, so about a century. That's right. Okay. So next one I want to share is Animal Farm by George Orwell. A lot of people know about Orwell because of his book 1984, which is a good one. um also relevant uh, to read. Perhaps a little relevant to today, but. Animal Farm is super interesting. So this was written in uh, 1945. And this is uh, dystopian fiction. We've talked a little bit about this before. So utopian is like, oh, perfect world. And then dystopian is not so perfect. <laughs> like things are horrible. And how did they get so horrible? So this was a, a dystopian novel. It is a kind of response to uh, what was happening in the Soviet Union at the time. So for the kids listening, you can ask your parents about the Soviet Union and communism and and uh, the the uh, and and Russia and what was happening back then, and so George Orwell was kind of in the middle of it at the time, and he wrote this book as a way to respond to uh, Stalin and the Soviet Union. He didn't like how controlling the government was, and so he wrote this book specifically to try and Um, respond to some of the political issues of the day. Now, of course, a book like that is still very relevant today, even though the Soviet Union fell and um, communism has, uh, people say it's mostly been eradicated. I question that, you know, (laughs) a couple of countries, but it's still, you know, a lot of people still want to take us back there. Um, So this book describes literally an animal farm, a bunch of animals on a farm, and they're kind of the, the really big word is kind of anthropomorphized, but what that means is like they're they're kind of like humans. They can talk to one another and stuff like that. But you have all these animals on the farm, and uh, this democracy gets formed by the animals to try and you know improve the community. And there's these really smart pigs, and they soon discover that they can consolidate power they can kind of control the other animals, they can have their way, uh, their decisions are, are, you know, the ones that are implemented rather than a, you know, true democracy. And so, of course, you know, as might be expected, uh, the morale on the farm starts to decline. Animals aren't too excited about working anymore. Um, and so he's talking about how when you have this this kind of thug rise to power like Stalin, when you have some animals who are more powerful than others, then the ones who are being controlled are not as productive. They're not as motivated to work, um, and so this was very much his attempt to try and describe how uh, communism, the Soviet Union, uh, Stalinism, how this stuff was uh, a problem, and it's certainly relevant to our day. Uh, you see, when you read this book, a lot of examples to even United States of America. When you talk about how some people have power to rule over other people and yeah we have equality but there's this quote in there like some animals are more equal than other animals it's like how, how are you more equal right it <laughs> yeah. just that, all that means is like you just have more power and you know control over us and so there actually is no equality so uh what i like about dystopian fiction like this is there's often ways to apply it to your own day even though it was written in a different era And so it's very fascinating to read, both to think about what he was specifically responding to with Stalinism uh, in the Soviet Union, but also to think how it applies today.
0: Yeah. So my next one is not a book. It's a little different. It's a series of pamphlets. And we've talked about pamphlets as far as the American Revolution goes in a few other episodes. But this is about World War II, specifically when the Nazis were coming to power in Germany. And there was a college student named Sophie Scholl. And her brother, and I think it was one other friend, maybe a couple other friends, started the White Rose Society. And mm. what they were doing is they were resisting the Nazis, which anybody who knows anything about World War II, that's just something you didn't do at that time. I mean, that was one of the most dangerous things you can do. But a lot of the actual German students, the people there were not aware of everything that was going on. They didn't know because there was no internet, right? There was no, you couldn't snap a photo on your on your cell phone and, and post it online. So a lot of people didn't know the extent of the evils that were going on during World War II. In fact, a lot of Germans, once they found out but After the War were just beside themselves. They knew things were bad. They didn't know how bad. Well, Sophie Scholl was writing and her brother and her friend were writing these pamphlets. And they were um, like before class, like like throwing them in the air, you know, and they were just kind of going all over the hall so that nobody could catch them. They were doing it anonymously. Um, And they were exposing the Nazis to a lot of college students who may not have actually known about how evil, you know, how bad things have gotten. Hmm. The most important part of this, I think, is how brave she was because she did end up losing her life. She did end up being killed because of this but she knew the risks and she did it anyway because she knew how important it was to let people know what was going on so uh Sophie Scholl's great person to look up right white rose society also but definitely take a look at those pamphlets
1: there is also a film that was done about Sophie Scholl that so I yeah. I enjoy watching at least every couple of years I believe it's called Sophie Scholl the final days and it shows uh basically exactly that her her final days of the resistance it's and what film. happened to her <laughs> And and uh, it's very powerful. It's, I think it's appropriate enough for teens to watch. Um, it's, it's all in German, and then you watch subtitles. Uh, very moving. I, in fact, I just had someone email me today asking about resources that he could share with his children about the Nazis that uh, were appropriate. And I said, well, this film might be appropriate. You might want to watch it first. Uh, but uh, it's something that I think very powerful to show what one young woman can do to stand up for what she believes. So... Uh, I think that's definitely worth checking out. The final one that I'll uh, share before you can share your last one, Brittany, is Anatomy of the State. Uh, This was written by Murray Rothbard, and we based uh, the Tuttle Twins and the Fate of the Future on this particular booklet. It's not that long. Uh, It's more of an essay. Uh, It's pretty clearly written, so it's not that boring of a read. In fact, it's uh, pretty uh, invigorating of a read to uh, to try and understand the, the title is anatomy of the state. What is the anatomy? It's like your guts, you know, the inside <laughs> of your body. Um, and so he's saying, this is what the state, the government actually is. We talk about it, right? It's, you know, government by the people, of the people, for the people, or we're a constitutional republic, or we're, you know, the majority vote or all these different things. And he says, no, 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 let's, let's not rely on these words. Let's actually try and understand the way the State actually works. what is its actual characteristics? We share in our fate of the future book several quotes and examples from the book where Rothbard is talking about it. But for the older kids, I would say definitely go read the underlying essay because um, he explains things in you know a really good way, like we've talked about the Declaration of Independence before, where Thomas Jefferson in there he writes, you know all experience has shown that you know mankind is more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they're you know accustomed but so what are these forms that we're accustomed to what are these systems of government that we're just kind of suffering under that we're disposed to suffer well you know the the state itself is this kind of system of government that has a monopoly over us we Suffer under it, you know monarchy is the state, and the constitutional republic is still a state, so even though the forms were changed, Murray Rothbard is inviting us to think a bit more deeply about government, not just you know communism versus democracy or a constitutional republic versus a monarchy or whatever, but just the the nature of the state ex- itself. We talk in the book about how you know, the state says I have a monopoly or we, you know, have a monopoly of of force in this jurisdiction. Here's these borders on a map. And if you are within here, if you step out of there like 10 feet that way, suddenly we don't have power over you. But then if you magically jump on the other side of that invisible line, we can now do whatever we want to you. (laughs) And so that is the nature of the state. And so Rothbard does a really good job at helping us try and understand why that that method of government might be a problem. So that is actually a, a very uh, controversial read because you know basically the state is everywhere and can we so in the reason we did the fate of the future was try and help people be thinking about like if the the fate of the future depends on us trying to figure out how we can actually you know deal with one another work with one another um, voluntarily not using force not having the state is that even possible what does that look like let's imagine up you know some of these scenarios and so it's a, a very fun read to to share. And I would uh, encourage the the older kids and the parents to consider giving it a read.
0: Well, I'm glad you left this one for me because this is actually one of my favorite book series of all time. And I did not read it as a kid or a teenager. I read them as an adult. So they're not just for kids and teens, or I would say probably more tweens and teens and adults, but the Uncle Eric series by Richard Mayberry, who is a fantastic mm. author and a great man if you ever had the chance to meet him. So he's he does a bunch of books, and what I call them is kind of like real history or real economics, the stuff you're not going to hear in maybe public schools or even, even some charter and private schools. But they talk about everything. I mean, the fall of Rome, World War One. I. I think I learned more about World War One from uh, Richard Mayberry's book than I did from any class mm. I ever took in school. But the, what makes these books so cool is the way they're written. They're written like an uncle writing to his nephew. So it's it's in terms that everybody can understand. And it's very casual. So it's, it's the uncle kind of saying like, you know, you wrote to me. Uncle Eric is his name. And he'll say like, oh, you know, you wrote to me about this topic. Really glad you asked about it. Let me dive into, you know, what makes this topic so interesting. But what makes these controversial is, like I said, this is not the information you're going to get from most even professors, right? This is the real history. This is, you know, stuff like inflation, stuff like, I'm trying to think of another one of his books I really like. He does one, uh, I think I mentioned The Fall of Rome that talks about, we talked about it on a previous episode about how people used to uh, shave off coins. And it's Mm -hmm. not even in the inflation one, it's in the Rome one. So there's just a bunch of really cool historical facts and economic facts that I would not have known if not for these books. So highly recommend them.
1: That's awesome. Well, hopefully, this has been helpful. In the show notes page, we will link uh, to each of these books on Amazon if you want to peruse them and have a a handy little resource to go back and find what all of them were. Uh, You know, most of these can be found very inexpensively. Uh, They'd make for some great, you know, homeschool curriculum for some of the older kids, some great discussions, um, and even some education for the adults as well. So, Hopefully that's been enjoyable for you. Uh, There's so many more that we could pick from, uh, you know, but we enjoy a lot of these books and we'll certainly talk about more in the episodes ahead. Make sure you head to tuttletwins.com slash podcast. Thanks for subscribing. Uh, Share the podcast with some friends and uh, Brittany, as always, uh, great talking with you and we'll see you next time.
0: See you next time. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out tuttletwins.com for more awesome content.